Um, I want to read the scripture reading first, and then I'm going to introduce Mick, and then you can come right up. Scripture is Luke 11, 11 through 13. It says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a pleasure to have Mick back here in Calamesa and his wife, Jana. Let's see, where are you now, Jana? Okay, you're still about two thirds. You know, she started off the very back, kind of moved, and so she's just hanging out there. Good to have you joining Mick here in Calamesa. Mick was here from 1991 to 1993, and um, unfortunately for Calamesa, Mick left and went to the conference office and became ministerial director. And I'm sad that that happened, but I'm glad for me that it happened because he was a phenomenal ministerial director. And um, in the busyness of all those in the conference office, Mick was one of the few who came down to San Diego and took this youth pastor to dinner just to see how I was doing. And so, Mick, I'm always very appreciative and we'll never forget that. And at a time, too, when um, I was trying to figure out where I was in the ordination track, it was when you were in office that you called me up and said, Let's get you ordained. And so Mick was a big part of my ordination in ministry. So sorry Calamesa lost him, but glad Southeastern got him, and I got to benefit from his ministry too. And we're glad to have you back here and your wife. And so thank you. We're going to show some pictures of your family. You can update us a little bit and tell us a little bit about where you're at now and what you're doing. So let's welcome Pastor Mick Thurber. joy it was to be your pastor for a little while, and a greater joy to do ministry with you here today. It's so good to see you. But let's just go ahead and get one thing done right at, right at the top. Everybody just turn to the person next to you and just go ahead and say, boy, Pastor Nick has really aged. <laughs> <laughs> and you all look just the same. That's the miracle. Maybe it's the light in here. No, what a joy it has been to be a part of the history of this church. Fifty years God has used you in such powerful ways. And for me to be just a little part of that, and for Jana and I and our family to be here, uh, we're grateful that you allowed us to come back. And we're honored, and it's so great to get reacquainted. And I know I haven't done 100% on the names. About 96, 97% right now, so it's not too bad. I may get messed up after services, but I'm doing my best. And if I slip, don't be too upset with us, because some of us have gotten older in the interim here. Uh, our family, we just look back at this as our home. I don't know how you can help but do it. And even though we were here only a short time, you made us feel so welcomed and so loved that there was no way we couldn't just feel like we belonged here. And to be able to be invited back and... Uh, just be with John and your staff again. What a blessing. Our kids, uh, they're kind of getting up there too. We got some pictures. First one we have is uh, of Gina's wedding about a year ago, just a little over a year ago. Uh, she's the one in the white, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> and uh, my beautiful Jana standing beside me there at the end. And uh, next to the bride is the groom. His name is Jay. And then next to Jay on his left is uh, the one that some of you only will remember as a baby or is a couple of years old. That's Kaylin. We'll show you another picture of her in just a moment. She's uh, 
almost 20 years old. In two weeks, she'll be 20 years old. Uh, now it's my turn to let you feel old, I guess, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, she's a junior at Union College and doing very well. Uh, let's go ahead and show the next picture. It's of uh, Jay and Gina again at their wedding, and we had a great time. It was uh, done in Denver, Colorado, but they live and work near Akron, Ohio, and they both work in the senior uh, living uh, centers kind of industry. You know what I'm talking about? I don't mean academy students. I mean people whose age I'm approaching, and uh, we're actually glad they're in that business because mom and I are kind of moving right into that age group, and they'll be able to take care of us. They have a room for us already, I think, where they work, and we're pleased about that, and we're grateful to have Jay as a part of our family. The next slide is of Darren and his wife, Christine. We call her Beamy. Her older sister was nicknamed Sunshine by her parents, and Beamy is uh, the sun beam, so that's how that name Beamy came about. And that's our granddaughter, Aria. And this picture was a year ago, so you don't see it, but Beamy's now pregnant with our second grandchild, a, a granddaughter that will be born in November. Darren is uh, at Andrews right now, working on his MDiv. Uh, Beamy got her MSW here from Loma Linda, and then they moved to San Francisco, and Darren took a master's in guitar performance. He's really good, you should hear him. He does a really good job. And uh, Beamy worked in social work for a while, and then they got called to do secular campus ministry. Um, and they worked in the Ohio Conference for a couple of years, and they were at Ohio University. Beamy got her second master's degree in international development. I expect her to be president of ADRA one day. You heard it here first. And Darren's working on his MDiv, and uh, I don't know what directions God will take them in ministry, but we're very proud of them. And then a couple of pictures of Kaylin, and we're very proud of her. She's a linguistics, well, not call that, but she's heading into linguistics, is a junior at uh, Union College. Uh, it's fun to uh, listen to watch a movie with her because she can tell you if any of the accents are real or fake, or if they're doing them well or not. It's also a little bit unnerving to preach in front of her because she knows the grammar I should have used and didn't use, and we talk about it afterwards sometimes. Uh, Janice uh, taking coursework toward a master's in pastoral ministry, and, and if God allows it and continues to lead in it, uh, maybe uh, chaplaincy is in her future. Uh, we've had quite a journey since we left here. You know, we got to live in San Diego for 10 years, two seasons, night and day. You know how wonderful that is down there. And uh, then we got to move up to here. What a glorious church family to be with. And we love the scenery. We got to drive home every day and look right into those mountains right here behind us. And we thought that was great. Where's God going to take us next? And he took us to PUC after we were here in the conference for a while and got to pastor the PUC church up there right on top of Howell Mountain. I uh, got to be at least a few steps behind Miller Vinden and uh, enjoyed that very much. And we thought, well, where in the world can we go from there? We've already been to heaven. So the next place God sent us, Texas. <laughs> We're still not sure what we did wrong, but no, yes, Texas is great. Uh, it is the land flowing with chips and salsa. And um, they have pretty good Mexican, different than California Mexican food, but pretty good. Uh, we enjoyed our time there. We're there 11 years. And then uh, we thought, where in the world is God going to send us next? How can it get any flatter than Texas, a state where the highest point in the state is a freeway overpass, you know? <laughs> and so then he sent us to Nebraska. And everything in Nebraska is the Cornhuskers, you know, the, the football team there mainly. They got basketball and volleyball too, but it's really the football team. And everywhere you go in Nebraska, you see the big red N. In Nebraska, that N stands for knowledge. Um, <laughs> but they're very smart people there. They really are. And they're, and they're, 
they're very gracious people there. I have a congregation of six people that spans nine states. Um, um, I'm the ministerial director in the Mid-America Union now, and my job is to be a pastor to the pastor's pastors, the ministerial directors in the local conference. And so uh, when I go on visitation, it takes me a long time to get home. But it's great work, and we love being there. People are wonderful. God's people are wonderful everywhere we go, we've discovered. And, uh, and yet we know that when we come back to Cala Mesa, it doesn't get any better than this. So what a great chance to be back here with you. Uh, now, you can start the time clock now, not the last five or six. We're just saying hello and catching up, right? right. Okay. You know, I'm a Thurber. We are going to get to lunch, but, you know, the time clock does start right now. Thank you. Um, they asked me to speak on people of the Spirit, people filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does that mean, being people of the Spirit? I love the series you put together. I wish I could be here to hear the, the final two sermons. I got to see Clarence's incredible sermon last week. I was so... Uh, actually watching it um, on, online. That's kind of a neat gift to be able to do that. And so I felt like I was here with you. I wanted to get a little taste of it and was so jealous to see Clarence preaching in a shirt like this. I kind of could get used to this, John. And uh, I, I like the whole feeling of this. Well, as I was studying and praying and thinking about how I'd approach this, this idea of people filled with the Spirit, as I began to kind of develop this, it began to dawn on me that this is really intertwined with another a seemingly unrelated issue. And that issue is the, the inborn desire that we all have to know that our lives matter, that what we do counts, that when you know, we're through with this earth, that somebody will remember that we did something that, that had an impact in their lives. I was, uh, just before the church service started, I was actually watching a YouTube video, Chris Tomlin singing uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Don't you love that? I love singing that. And while it was going, I had watched two or three of his videos, and so I already kind of knew it well enough that I didn't have to watch him and watch the words. I was scrolling down looking at some of the comments afterwards, and, and I saw one that really just kind of broke my heart a little bit. Maria Bonita was the moniker for her uh, internet name. She said, there will be no ugly words in this message, but two of the major problems for religion, and even some scientists fall into this trap, are the desperate need to find a meaning to life and a destination in it. And this is what she said that I thought was just almost heartbreaking. She said, I am here for the same reason as a leaf or a stone or a planet. And my destiny is the same as those things. That makes me happy enough. Despite my importance today and my sentience, I am no more than a transient happening. Find peace and clarity here on earth. Isn't that sad? I'd like to think I'm more than a leaf and a rock. As wonderful as those things are. Don't you believe we're destined for more than that? And then you have the other end of the spectrum. I saw that uh, Wolf Blitzer was reporting a couple of weeks ago that in that terrible conflict over there in the Middle East right now, Israel, Gaza, Hamas, and all of that, 3,000 elite Hamas soldiers have said goodbye to their families, and they have become outfitted with suicide bomb vests. It is their desire to get in that conflict and give themselves for that conflict. There must be a better way to have your life count than doing it that way. So it's those two things I want to talk about with you this morning as we open the Word together. Galatians chapter 4, if you will go there with me, please. Turn over in your iPad or your iPhone, or if you do it in manual like I do and still got the old paper version, that's good too. Galatians chapter 4. 
Galatians 4. We're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. Just going to read a little bit of that first verse. Paul says, what I am saying is, that's kind of a funny way to start a chapter. Uh, That kind of means that either he's got to um, restate what he just got through saying, or maybe he's going to illustrate it in some way. Uh, He did some pretty good uh, heavy lifting, theological heavy lifting in chapter 3, where he just said for about the third time in this short book, it is not through works of law, but it is through faith in the work of Christ that brings us salvation. And then he reminds us, he says, now this provision and this need is for all. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. We all have equal need, but praise God, there's equal and adequate provision. So for all of us, it's taken care of. And he says, what I'm saying is this. Then he goes on to give what I think is a pretty incredible illustration. We'll pick that up with verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. Now, there's kind of two really important anchor points in this little section that we're going to use to really ground ourselves so we can get started in this direction I want to talk about this morning. The first one is that phrase, adoption to sonship. Now, ladies, don't get bothered here at Paul because he left daughters out. He had to use this word, which is translated that way, for a particular reason. See, the Jews didn't practice adoption. But the, but the Romans did, and it's thought that the Greeks did as well. So this was a term borrowed from Roman culture that would have let them know the extent of this adoption, how, uh, how absolutely um, important it was to understand it this way when you, when you realize that, you know, you could have, uh, you know, pretend families. When Jan and I were teaching in academy, there was one girl who used to call us mom and dad. She loved having a mom and dad there away at boarding school. Well, we weren't her real mom and dad, but we liked hearing that. But this isn't a pretend thing. This is to let people know that an heir adopted, that this word describes, these are people that are as much a part of the family as a natural born child is. And they have the same access to the family inheritance, the same rights to every privilege the family offers. This is not just a, a godfather, godmother kind of thing. This is a real family adoption. Now, I didn't really fully understand the the profound power of that statement until a couple of decades ago in my life. We had left the Calamasa Church, but still living here in the area, and I came home from work at the conference office one day, and uh, Jana was sort of standing, waiting between our family room and the kitchen, right where we, near our, you know, dinette area where we had our our meals, and uh, I looked at her and said, hi, how are you? You know, I thought she would give me a greeting coming home, but she had this funny look on her face. Instead of saying, well, hello, welcome back, glad you're home, she had two words for me. I'm late. And I said, well, that's okay, I've got, I got time, no problem. And she said, no, I'm late. And I started to think, did we have an appointment this week? Or was I supposed to go somewhere? And I, I just forgotten, about, maybe I'm late too. Probably. I'm late. This time I got the, you know, the hand on the hip. Thing. And it began to dawn on me what she was saying. My response, you can't be late, you're 40 years old. No response. You can't be late. I'm 40 years old. She said words every husband maybe dreads to hear. She said, Abraham? 
Would you go to the drugstore for me? Went down, and it was still a thrifty before it was Rite Aid. And I was so nervous that some of you were going to be there. And you would see me, and I would see you, and how would I explain this, you know? So I went to that aisle where those products are, you know, and I had to kind of do a stealth pass a couple of times. You don't look, you know, you just kind of look out of the corner of your eye to see if it's there. Because you don't want people to think you're looking there for those things, you know. But I found what I needed, and I kind of reached up and... It's a good thing they didn't have security cameras then like they do now, or they'd probably arrested me because I really must have looked suspicious. And then I was looking and careful to look at the packaging on the way up to the cash register because I wanted to make sure it had a price tag on it. Because, you know, back in those days, they actually typed it in. And the last thing I wanted was to have, you know, four people behind me in line and have this clerk look at it and say, oh, price check for a pregnancy test on aisle four. You know, you just... Oh. But it had a price tag, so I thought, I'm in the clear. And I, I waited till the cash registers were empty, and I ran up to the em first empty one I found and set it down. There was about a 23, 24-year-old girl there. She picked that up and started to type it, and then she looked up at me and her eyebrows. Yeah. And I said, this is for my daughter. Well, it turned out to be, in a way. But, you know, I wasn't really lying, you know. And I took it home and gave it to Jana, and, she took the test, and that thing didn't even wait five minutes like it was supposed to to turn blue. It's like, you know, a minute and a half afterwards, it's blue. She wasn't just pregnant, she was really pregnant. And we were really mad. Oh, what are we gonna do? We're not set up for this. We've thrown away all our baby stuff. Gina was 14 and a half, almost 15, and Darren was 11 and a half. Oh, man, we don't have anything. By the way, if it wasn't for some of you wonderful folks here that helped to bail us out, we'll never forget that shower in Wildwood Park that day that you were so gracious to us. I don't know what we'd have done because we really didn't own another thing for, you know, like, oh, man. This was just, you know, when you have this happen to you, you just, your whole life begins to, you know, you realize you've got to reform and reshape and rethink and replan and redream. And, and we just weren't prepared for this. We weren't thinking this was going to happen. I started to worry about all those things that I would have to do. And, it, and, and, and then it really started to worry me that this couldn't be the right thing for me because I still hadn't lost my weight from our first two children. <laughs> I just didn't know how we were going to face this. And then we knew we had to tell our two older kids. And you know, whenever a pastor sits their family down, the kids think, oh no, we're going to move again? And I almost think they might have preferred that, at least at the beginning. Because you know, you got a 15-year-old and somebody almost 12, and you say, guess what? We're going to have another baby in our family. I wish you could have seen their faces. It was somewhere between a mixture of shock and embarrassment and utter horror. They thought about it and they looked at us and they thought, you mean you and mom are still do? Oh. I don't know why adolescents can't understand that God's gift of married love is wonderful. And, you know, but they, they were just embarrassed. And, and Gina said, well, you can't tell anybody. Ever. Well, honey, you know, and she told her best friend, Rachel, and it was okay, because Rachel thought it was cool, and then we could begin to tell a few people. Uh, but boy, we were shocked, and boy, were we kind of mad for a little while, because this wasn't what we had planned. But then we realized how gracious God is that gives us what we don't even realize we need. God gave us the surprise that we didn't even know we needed. 
I remember one night, uh, Janet was starting to feel better about this before I was. Women always crack first, you know how that is. That we're laying in bed and she grabs my hand and pulls it over to her stomach and just kind of sets it. And uh, I started to feel Kaylin move. And I started to melt too. And then we got to hold her. Oh, what a joy it was. And how foolish I felt for being angry for a moment, you know, and being worried and stressed out to hold that little one. Now we're so proud of her. And she's in college. And it's just, you know, just a wonderful thing. I bet if we took the time this morning, there's probably 30 stories almost like that in this room. An oops, maybe you are the oops, or maybe you caused the oops or the surprise. We know exactly what it's like to have an accidental pregnancy. But here's the deal. There is no such thing as an accidental adoption. You are a member of God's family, not by any accident, but by His design and His provision. You are no surprise to Him. You are on purpose. And that's a fabulous thought because it means because you're not an accident, because you're not a surprise to God, you're his deliberate choice, what that means is that even before you say or do or accomplish a single thing, he's already proud of you. He already loves you. You were already chosen for his family. And not just a peripheral child, as good as a blood child, our brother, Jesus Christ. And as the apple of his eye, you are in line for God's best gifts, which just happens to be mentioned in verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. I don't even know if we realize the privilege that is. You know, in the Old Testament times, they, they used words that represented God's name because God's name felt too holy to say. So they would use words to represent that. Here the Spirit wells up in us something that we would never have the courage to do on our own because it just wouldn't seem right. The, the, the Spirit wells up in us the same Spirit to, to lead us into calling our Father Abba, the same term Jesus used for his Father. That intimate use of his name just proves that we are part of his family. And now that we really are his family, we've really been adopted and we've been gifted in the profound way that we are. That opens, op opens up a whole new way of living and all new possibilities that exceed anything we've ever thought or could even imagine before. I would need about a 10-week series and, you know, John wouldn't give it to me to cover all of those. So I've just picked kind of one way this morning to talk about it because... I wanted to be able to have shoes and walk home with you today and have it be a part of your life. So I want to point you to another biblical story, Acts chapter 8. We can explore just a little bit what it means to have the Spirit be a part of our lives in this way. Acts chapter 8, very familiar story. We'll start with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. My 
I hope it was more peaceful then than it is now. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Twice in that little passage so far, we have a very profound event taking place. An angel and then the spirit directly told Philip where to go and what to do. Talk about direct leading by the Spirit. Wouldn't you like to live in such a way that you know that everything you were doing is following the direct leading of the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever prayed at an important crossroads in your life? Got a big decision coming up. And you want to know what God's will is. And so you go to him and you say, God, I just need to know what you want me to do here. Please tell me so I will know which, which road to take. I really want to do what you want me to do. And in pray and pray and study and you pray and pray some more and you hear silence. That ever happened to you? So what was the problem? Did you not pray long enough or pray hard enough or pray right enough? And maybe you keep studying, you're looking in the Word, and you want to make sure you get it right, and you run across a text like Romans 8.14, which says something, you know, almost innocuous, but then when you read it, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And you think, no, wait a minute. I'm not getting the leading here. Has something happened to my adoption? Am I now disconnected? Is it, I'm not feeling this. Does this mean I'm not really a child of God if I'm not getting that Word? Well, a couple of years ago, I got kind of a jolt in my thinking, and this may not work for you, but it sure helped me. Uh, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 for a moment. Keep your finger in Acts 8. We're coming back here. But go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. going to draw a quick lesson from the life of somebody we almost never use in a positive way because, well, he was a mess. This is the life of Saul. This is right at the very beginning, just after Israel had begged God for a king. And so he acquiesced and said, okay, Samuel, this is the guy that I've chosen. Go get him. Now, you remember Saul didn't want any part of being the king. Remember when they were going to introduce him, he was found hiding in the baggage. He wanted no part of this. He didn't have any idea what to do as king. He didn't know if he was person enough to be king. All he knew was that God was asking him, and it was very frightening for him. So Samuel actually gave him a little something, I think, to encourage him. He made a little prophecy about some things that were going to happen to him in the next little while that would confirm that this was really God's idea. That's what we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come on you, meaning Saul, in power, and you will prophesy with them. Now, the them is a small group of prophets that kind of went around prophesying. And they were going to come by Saul's way and they were going to get together and Saul was going to be endowed with the same spirit. He would prophesy with them. This was going to let him know that God was in this. And you will be changed into a different person. Now this isn't where I'm going this morning, but I've got to mention it. I love that phrase, and you'll be changed into a different person. Let me tell you why that's important. You might think that even though Israel had done wrong by choosing to have their own king, God could have been mad at them and set Saul up for failure is a way of getting them back. But that's not how God treated them. God was a God of grace, and he loved to treat his children in a way even better than they treated him. This scripture says that, that God changed him into a different person. God gave him what he needed to be king. 
He still made bad choices, but God didn't set him up for failure. That's important to know. But here's the real gem in this, the next verse. Once these signs are fulfilled, are you sitting down? Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Do you get the sense of the freedom he's talking about here? Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. We think that God's will is restrictive. God gave choice to us as one of his primary gifts. What a wonderful thing. He wants us to use it and enjoy using it. Oh, there are times that God will specifically direct us, but there are also times when maybe that silence is his way of saying, hey, why don't you choose this time? It's okay with me. We get so worried about are we, are we choosing the right things that, that we might wake up in the morning and say, God, should I have granola or cream of wheat or, or oatmeal for breakfast? I don't think he cares. I want you to choose. Enjoy the life he's given you. When you're, when you're trying to live in his light, the boundaries are wide. Well, then I thought, well, maybe what I need to do is to make sure that my expectations of what the Spirit's going to do for me line up with what Jesus said the Spirit was going to do for me. So I did a quick restudy of John's uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16 to see what it said there about uh, what the work of the Holy Spirit would be. And I don't have time to read all of these. I'm just going to do a, just a Reader's Digest version. John 14, verse 15 through 18, uh, Jesus says he'll be another advocate, not comforter. That's a different old use of the word. Advocate meaning somebody who will stand beside you, strengthen you, encourage you, speak for you. Also, he said, I will never leave you. He said, it's another, ad- another advocate. Jesus was the first. The Holy Spirit will continue the work of Jesus on the earth. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So now you see the conserving and the teaching component here. The next one, John 15, 26, he will testify about me and by implication, you will testify about me. And then finally, in John 16, verses 12 through 14, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Spirit will reiterate what Jesus taught and will also convey the things that Jesus will say in the future. So when you kind of synthesize those things and put them together, I see two primary ways that Jesus is going to lead us through the Spirit. The first is to live a life that honors God. He's going to lead us into truth. He's going to help us understand what that truth is. He's going to provide the power to help us live that truth in a very real way. And by the way, I kind of yanked Romans 8, 14 out of context. Let me put it back in context now. That verse is talking about explicitly, if you go back and read that chapter, uh, the Spirit is leading you away from the life of the flesh that we used to live and now is leading you to live the life of the Spirit, the life that is in God, the life that it makes us, uh, doesn't make us, but the life that is worthy of our calling, to, to paraphrase Paul. That's the work of the Spirit to lead us. And by the way, when the Spirit begins to lead you in your spiritual walk, it is for you and your spiritual walk. It is never to lead you by way of invitation for either you or me to stick our nose into somebody else's sanctification. Maybe you've never been on the loaded barrel end of a pointed finger before, but I have. Pastor Mick, God told me that you ought to blah, 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 blah. That's happened to me several times in my life. Not fun. I don't know about you, but I got enough stuff in my own life I need to deal with. I don't need to worry about what somebody else's life is like. I just need to take care of my issues with God, be open to what he's doing in me. 
The second way that I think that he leads is, as Jesus talked about, the Spirit testifies of me and you will testify of me. So the Spirit's express leading in our life is to help us be the very expression of Jesus himself. Gary Berg, in commenting on these texts in John, said this, to experience the Spirit is to experience Jesus. Believers will sustain the miraculous works of Jesus, have intimacy with God in prayer, and they will recall God's word with conviction, all with the aid of the Spirit. The book of Acts shows this is exactly the profile of the earliest Christians. Christians were reproducing not merely the work of Jesus, they were continuing the presence of Jesus in the world. Perhaps we could put it this way, as the Son incarnated the Father's presence in the world, so now the Spirit brings the Son's presence into the world through the life of the believer. So now we can go back to our story in Acts 8 and begin to see more of this in action. Let's pick up right where we left off. The Spirit told Philip, verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. So does the Spirit really speak like that? That audibly? woman was arrested two weeks ago in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The arresting officer was taking the report. She had just run over a motorcyclist and hit the same truck twice. The cop asked her, what in the world were you thinking? And she said, well... God told me to take my hands off the wheel and he'd take it from here. <laughs> Turns out it was the Vicodin that was talking that she was on. So you've got to be careful when somebody says God speaks to them. But if you want a really interesting story, go to AdventistReview.org and look up the story of our elder, this woman from um, the Netherlands that was supposed to be on Malaysian Air Flight 17 and see what God did for her in her devotion time. And I didn't get their permission to say this, but I will mention that in preparing for a Sabbath afternoon in, I think it was September, may have been early October, 1998, I was going to stand in front of this church family with our friends, the Wilkins. And I didn't know what to say about Monty. And I'm going to keep my experience with the Lord the day before, kind of private. But I will tell you that I pled with the Lord to know what to say. And the Spirit spoke to me and said, take them to the cross. So I know that happens. And I know what happens when we respond to when the Spirit speaks. And I know that when you read something like this in verse 29, you think, well, I must not be a good Christian because it doesn't happen to me. But I think that we can fairly look at a passage like this and see God's call to all of us. Let me read just a little bit more and you'll see what I mean. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading, the Isaiah, reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Isaiah 53, obviously, and some other spots. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
Now, there's some wonderful freedom-giving truths that we can apply to our own life as the Spirit's call to us if we'll just look at this passage just a little bit more deeply this morning. Oh, this afternoon. It's a powerful passage. The very first principle I want to drive from this is this one. It's very simple. We need to go and be present with people where they are. We're very good about putting up the posters and buying the big advertising and sending out the notes and all the stuff that we do because we want people to come to us. Well, why don't we go to them? When you leave here Sabbath morning, you don't leave church. The church is just going everywhere. You are the church wherever you are. Be the church wherever you are. Be present with people. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit was saying, go stand near that chariot and keep your eyes and ears open, Philip. Why don't you take notice of what I am already doing in the life of this person, and why don't you then try to fit into the flow of what I've already got going? Do you see the pressure that begins to take off already? He asked that question, so do you understand what you're reading? That was a way of expressing interest in who he was and where he was at that moment. And so he told him the very thing that he was, he was concerned about. And, and Philip listened carefully. And then he finally gets to verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage. How many times have people come to us and said, I got a question about this, but just like the song says, well, let me tell you about this instead. Well, they may get to that one day, but they're right here, right now. We need to enter the moment where people are, meet them where they are, and help take them from that moment to the next. But you see how freeing that is once again? Because now you don't have to worry about memorizing a script or carrying three-by-five cards around in your pocket that you can whip out at a moment's notice or memorize answers to questions people are not asking. If we trust the Spirit to bring us with people that we can talk to, this is the kind of thing that happens. And what's so powerful here is that, that the, uh, the, the way the story ends, Philip didn't have to give an appeal. He didn't, say, he didn't even say to the eunuch, hey, well, would you like to be baptized? After he'd explained the gospel of Christ, meeting him right where he was, it was the eunuch that asked if he could be baptized. We talk about how hard it is to get decisions. Well, maybe we're not entering people's lives and meeting them right where they are. God graced me with a, just a small example of what it felt like to have that kind of a story about a year ago. I was flying home from Denver to Omaha. That's where I usually fly in. A little bigger airport than, than Lincoln and more airlines, more choices. It's only about an hour, hour and ten minute flight. And I don't always talk to the people next to me on the plane. It's not always comfortable, you know. How are you? But I got a seat on the aisle this time and uh, a really smooth takeoff. But the lady beside me must have been mid to late 30s. We didn't even exchange a word, really, until after we were pretty much up to cruising altitude. And then she looked over at me and she said, hey, did you hear about the soccer game in South America that happened this week? Well, I'd heard something about it, but I didn't know a lot. And she said, yeah, I got to tell you about this. I said, really? Well, what happened? She said, well, it was, uh, it was really quite a scene down there. The crowd just went crazy. And I said, yeah, soccer fans, they're scary, aren't they? I mean, soccer fans, I've, you know, all the big reports that I've seen of these big soccer matches, they go crazy in the stands. They've got a couple hundred thousand people there sometimes. And if you wonder why soccer fans are angry, it's they, they sit there for three hours and watch an action game that almost always ends up one to nothing. And no wonder they're angry all the time at a soccer game, you know? Oh. 
so anyway, th this game was like a typical soccer game. The fans were crazy. And I said, yeah, those soccer fans, they can be really frightening. And she said, well, let me tell you what happened. She said there was a call by a referee that it was against the, the best player on the home team. And of course, the crowd went nuts. They said, yeah, those soccer fans, they can, they're, just, they're scary. They get riled up. Just, you know. She said, well, the referee got so worried about the, the behavior of the player, he took out a knife and he stabbed him right there on the field. And I said, that's terrible. I said, I bet those soccer fans went crazy. She said, oh, yeah, it was just unbelievable. She said, but that's not the, the half of it. They, they put him in an ambulance to take him to the hospital, and he died on the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Word got back to the crowd, and you know soccer fans. They stormed the field. They literally tore that body apart of that referee. They killed him right on the field. You know, Paul says to Timothy, you know, keep your head about you in all situations. This guy wasn't able to do that. It's not how he died, but that was part of what was happening there. And she said, I've got pictures of the autopsy where they're trying to put him back together here on my phone. I'd like to show them to you. you know? I said, no, I'm, I'm good. She said, oh, really? They're very interesting. You've got to see these. And she's trying to calm up. Oh, I said, no, I'm good. I, I, I wondered what in the world would make her, you know, so interested in that, you know. A couple more times, I said, yeah, those soccer fans, you got, you got to watch out for them. I said, well, what do you do for a living? She says, well, I'm a nurse for a cosmetic surgeon. And I said, oh, what kind of procedures do you guys do? And she began to give me the list. It's all the things you'd expect. And then she said, you want to know what our most popular procedure is? I wasn't sure I really wanted to know. Uh, but I'm glad that she actually offered that. She said, the, the, the thing that we do the most that brings people the most joy is when we pin the ears back, especially for boys. See, girls get to hide their big ears, you know, with their hair if they happen to have big ears. But guys can't do that, at least with today's styles. You know, they see them. So when a boy whose ears stick out like the back doors of the car, you know, uh, finally gets their ears pinned back for what they would think is normal, she said, you wouldn't believe the looks on their face and how wonderful it makes them feel about themselves. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I said, that's, I said you must have a really interesting job. She said, yeah, I work for a great doctor. And then she said... And what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an Adventist minister. And she got real quiet for a couple of seconds. And she said, I'm a believer in Jesus. But I don't go to church anymore. Because when I was a teenager... There were some old people, older people. We're all older when you're a teenager. You could be 22 and you're old, you know. Um, there were, some, there were some old people in the church who were very critical of me. And it hurt me so bad, I, I quit going. She said, I really haven't been back since. And I have no idea why I said what I said next, except maybe God planted it there, spirit. Because I said the strangest thing. I said, you know, I'm... I'm really sorry that happened to you. But I just want you to know, not all soccer fans are bad. Within about 15, 20 seconds of that comment, please return your trays and your seat backs to the upright and stop position on our final approach into Omaha. Those are the last words we shared. We landed. She, being a little younger and a little swifter of step than me, took off, heading up to get our luggage.
I'm walking toward the same place. She's about 50 feet ahead of me. She stops dead in her tracks, and she turns around and starts to look in the crowd. She sees me, and she runs back to me. And she throws her arms around me. And she said in my ear, it was no accident that we were sitting together today. And then she turned around and ran off. Went downstairs to meet her sister-in-law. She was going to Cheryl Crow concert, of all things. And so I went over to this part of the conveyor to pick up my luggage. She was over there with her sister-in-law talking. And I looked up, and she was talking and gesturing and pointing over at me. And I smiled and waved. I wonder what she's saying over there. We get our luggage. I got mine. She's got hers. Just starting to walk out. She looks over at me again, and she leaves her sister-in-law. Says, just a minute. She comes back over a second time and throws her arms around me. Say, thank you for what you're doing. Keep it up. It was no accident. We sat together today. I wished her well. Got in my car for the hour drive back to Lincoln. Starting to think about all this, and I thought, what just happened here? All I said was, not all soccer fans are bad. That's all I said. I didn't even give her, you know, proof text on the mark of the beast and, you know, state of the dead and Sabbath. And I thought, man, I blew this. Then I thought, no, I didn't. The spirit was in that moment. And I was in that moment with her. See, the thing is, when the spirit engineers these encounters... He brings the person who has the need with the person who can speak to the need. Now, I'm not saying don't study and be prepared. We need to be imbibing as much of the Spirit and the Scripture as we can. That's got to be a regular part of our life. But just as Jesus said, take no thought how or what you shall speak, allow the Holy Spirit, trust Him enough to give you what you need in that moment. Isn't that freedom again? I've prayed for this woman a lot of times since that encounter that day. And I can't wait one day to know what happens next. I believe that she's going to be ready for another step, and the Spirit's going to know that, and the Spirit's going to find somebody who's ready to respond to help them cross paths. My fondest wish is it's going to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I want all of us to be ready so the Spirit can use us at any time. Talk about making your life count to be a part of seeing someone live forever with Jesus? Is there any higher calling? Is there any greater privilege? Paul David Tripp said, we are the expression on the face of God. So I ask, what are we showing to the world? With my silly little title here, breathing the very breath of God, could I even take it one step further that when we, are, when we are taking in the Holy Spirit, we're taking in the Scripture, we're meditating, we're learning from Him, that when we speak to others that we're speaking the very breath of God? I don't know about you, but I don't want to have bad breath. I want it to be the sweet breath of the Spirit speaking through me. Is that what you want this morning? Well, we're all given the gift. Is the gift working that way in your life? When I was a seventh grader, my dad gave me one of the most important gifts I ever received in my life. He brought home, we were living in Texas at the time, a $10 guitar from Mexico. 
That was my first exposure to a guitar. It was a neat little gift. It looked nice. I kept it in my room. I, I would take it with me into the living room and I'd watch TV. I'd set it right behind my chair in the dining room and we had dinner. I took that guitar everywhere. The gift was mine. But for a while it was pretty useless <laughs> because I hadn't engaged with my gift. The scripture tells us that we were all given the Spirit. Upon our birth with Jesus, our new birth with Him, we were given the Spirit, the one that cries out, Abba, Father. The question is, are we engaged with that Spirit? Have we opened ourselves up to Him so that it's not just something we carry around, handle it like a trophy, but something that actually impacts and changes the way we are and who we are with people? This is not complicated. What it requires is a singular desire to be engaged with the Spirit. It's to give Him the full permission to become the people He's designed us to be. As you listen to Natalie sing this beautiful song, my prayer is that these words will become your prayer this morning. Joy be seen in all I 
that we weren't second-class children. But you have given us a status we don't deserve. Thank you for the cross and for the work that you've done. Lord, may we accept the gifts that you have given us, the, the gift of adoption to sonship, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I would like to thank you for this great church and how you've used it over these last 50 years. Lord, I hope they don't have another 50 years. I want you to come sooner than that. But I just pray, Lord, for this group of people, this special, wonderful church family, that they will be a people so filled with the Spirit that your renown will spread even more 
than what people already know about this church. Not for its glory, but for yours. May each of us be willing to open ourselves up to be useful to you, to be present with other people, enter their moment, and lift them towards you. May that be what each of us desires today. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us this day. In his name.